everyone. Welcome to Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our transparency and accountability work at chicagojustice.org. We have a great post today on, as we do every Monday, on media coverage of gun violence over the weekend. We look, uh, basically analyze how the various uh, outlets the Trib, the Sun-Times, 2579, and Fox 32 cover gun violence. What resources they put behind it, how much they publish about it. So that is up now. You can go to chicagojustice.org and it's on the homepage for you. There's a link to the homepage. Okay, today we have, we feature an interview with Representative LaShawn Ford from the 8th Illinois uh, House District. Um, we talk about um, his proposal for a critical race theory academy for police throughout the state of Illinois. Um, and then we're going to go on and talk about an anonymous letter allegedly written from a prosecutor at uh, within the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Um, on, believe it or not, it's anonymous, so it's a published on an anonymous blog called Crime in Wrigleyville, or CWB. Um, and we're going to talk, we're going to do our regular FOP watch segment. And then we're going to talk um, about Lightfoot's um, uh, qualified immunity push that got uncovered with this trove of emails that's been released through a hack. Um, and so maybe some other stuff depending on the time. Um, so strap yourselves in. Okay, so before we get into the interview with LaShawn Ford, or Representative Ford, um, if you're interested in sponsoring this show, which appears Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30 Central on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, you can do it. The link should hopefully be in the chat. You can go there and sponsor the show. Uh, we would like to expand. We'd like to be able to stream the uh, police board meetings and uh, city council meetings, Cook County board meetings, and only general assembly meetings when they deal with crime and justice. You can help us do that. Go to that link and sign up to sponsor us. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get um, to our first segment here. Excuse me. It is a. Um, it runs about a little about eighteen and a half minutes, and it's our interview that we did earlier today with Rep Representative LaShawn Ford. And basically, we talk about a proposal. I think. Back, I think he introduced on the 19th of April. He actually introduced legislation. That link should be in the chat also now, or will be soon. Um, well, this legislation is basically to mandate that police throughout Illinois, current ones and new ones coming in, have to go through basically a critical race theory curriculum to understand the role race plays in policing in the administration of justice in our lives um, all together. Um, I've taught uh, critical race theory at the University of Illinois Chicago, so I'm pretty, um, through my grad work, pretty up on what it's talking about, but it's basically about um, applying a race lens to justice and law and legal issues. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. That's why I, um, I wanted to sit down with Representative Ford so I am going to play the interview for you now in its entirety, and then we'll come back after and discuss and uh, talk a few more segments after that. We'll see you on the flip side. Okay, uh, Representative Ford, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it today. Thank you for having me, Tracy. And um, I know you say you're in DC. So. I am, and you got a nice picture of the Capitol up behind you. Uh, you're such a beautiful building, and it's just 
lost a lot of its luster when you have fences guarding it from uh, from insurrectionists. Yep. Yep. I have an up close and personal view of that. They stayed right next door in the hotel. Oh, okay. Horrible. All right. So we're here to talk HB 4066, which you introduced it on the 19th of April, uh, which is a bill um, basically trying to create the Critical Race Theory Academy. So before we get into that, so some of my viewers may not know you, you're uh, the 8th district, you're the representative, Illinois representative in the 8th district, if I got the number right. Tell us a little bit about your district. Yeah, so Tracy, yes, I represent the 8th district for the last 14 years, and the district is made up of the Austin community on the west side of Chicago, and it goes through Oak Park, which is a suburb, mm -hmm. and uh, North Riverside, um, LaGrange, LaGrange Park, and parts of Brookfield and parts of Forest Park and Berwyn. Those are the communities that I represent. And of course, that's gonna change a little bit because this is the year of redistricting. Yep. And so I'm enjoying the last days with the constituents that I have in the eighth district because that's gonna change um, uh, when we uh, have the new approved map. Okay, so for our viewers that don't know, and I've taught on this issue, believe it or not, at UIC for a little while, what is critical race theory? Well, critical race theory, you know, is in my opinion, is looking at a um, looking at the subject. The bill deals definitely with with law enforcement, of course, and we're looking at making sure that we're critical in our thinking about um, how we see our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, uh, peers, and um, having a full spectrum and not a lens that's only from the communities that we grew up in. You know, higher education is supposed to broaden our understanding about different people and what we want to be is critical in our thinking so that we can deal with the racism that we see in our, um, in our communities. You know, it's amazing to me. I've posted about the Adam Toledo shooting and the Anthony Alvarez shooting. And the Adam Toledo one was much messier than I think anyone. Obviously, no one wants the shooting to happen whatsoever, but it was a messy one. And my question that I posed on our show here has been, would the officer have waited another heartbeat to shoot if Adam was white? Hmm. And I, I've gotten some comments like just ripping me for that. And I'm like, you can't, this is one of the things about critical race theory. It's like, you can't ever think that any interaction does have a, doesn't have some element of race in it, especially when it's in policing or the justice system. So. Yeah, uh, you're right. Ahead. You have to, because there is no doubt, Tracy, in my mind that a police officer, whether that person, the police is black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. When they see you, Tracy, they don't see me the same way. Your white skin has privilege and you shouldn't be ashamed of it, but people like you um, do a good job because you let it be known. Yes, there is white privilege and we have to make sure that we use our, um, wherever we're at in life, whatever color of our skin, to educate people so that we can learn to respect one another. So there's no doubt that the interactions with 
uh, white people and black people have always been different. And until we learn to respect one another based on the fact that we're all human, we're going to continue to have this problem. Yeah, I went to a conference. God, I'm old. I went to a conference 25 years ago in Boston. And one of the speakers, one of the people giving a, a like a talk to a small group was this uh, professor, I think researcher named Eleni Featherstone. And she asked one question to the group and it was mostly white kids. What does it mean to be white? Right, and none of us could answer. And she says, yeah, I asked that because I knew you wouldn't be able to come up with the answer because that wasn't in the discourse at the time, right? She goes, you know what it is? It's never having to think about your the, skin, the color of your skin. Yeah. And I you was, know what? That's absolutely right. If I've never heard that question, but if you ask a black person, what does it mean to be black? And that there would be a lot of dialogue on that. Right. And I was out in, I, I internship 15 years ago in New York and I was staying with a, a black couple. Um, he worked at the same organization. Let me rent a room in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And he took me out my last night there. And one of the, New York is so big and has these niche communities. We went to a bar that was frequented by black Africans, right? And I was literally the only white person in there. And it that dawned on me. And whether I, th the fact that I was different I noticed it, whether or not they did, I don't know, but I noticed that I, that it was just an odd experience for me. And it dawned on me. And we talked about it while I was there with Mike. He's like, yeah, you don't, you don't get this much, do you? I'm like, no. Right. I, I, he was like, he goes, no, you're, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you, but it's like, no, I don't have to deal with this. Right. Yeah. You're a minority for a moment. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Then we had a bear to him. We moved on and everything was fine, but it was something that I've never, never really had to deal with. Um, okay, so why um, is there a need for the academy? You know, I think there is a need for the academy. One, whatever profession you're in, you should want to do better and you should want to um, improve on your ability to serve the people that you're serving. So in policing and law enforcement, whether it's in Illinois or in any other state in the union, Racism has been identified as a problem. There's no doubt. Wherever you're at, racism in law enforcement, in education, every every facet of our profession, racism has been identified as a problem. We know that racism is in law enforcement, and we want to help people um, understand how to better serve the people that they have to uh, protect. We 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 know that. We're not putting a, uh, a law enforcement in a situation where we're saying that we're gonna put accountability on you. We're saying with this here, we're saying we want to work with you and help give you a greater education on people. And who can argue with the fact that there's legislation to say we wanna fund critical race theory education that will help you better deal with racism in your head, in your department, so that we can better have greater relations with the people in the black, brown, white communities. That's what we want. Who doesn't want that? 
And so why is it needed? It's needed because we know that in order to be a policeman in Chicago or in almost any municipality, you can have a degree or not, but it could be in basket weaving. You don't have to have an understanding about um, people. You just have to have an understanding about how to fight crime, lock people up, and shoot and ask questions later. That's the training that they have. They've been trained to shoot center mass, not to shoot to um, take a person down. That's the training. And if I'm a police person that lived in Highland Park, never went to school with anyone but, um, you know, I would say well-off white people, then I don't have a compassion or understanding about anybody regardless to their color and their struggles because I've been shielded from any type of um, other lifestyle. So this really helps police officers deal with uh, their biases and their racism um, and it gives them the education. You know, we, we shouldn't look at a person that's racist in a way that they're bad people. I look at them as people that have been miseducated. And if they want to remain hateful, that's one thing. But if they want to understand how to better understand and not to hate a person on the color of their skin, then they should ask, how could I better myself? And I think that this is one way that law enforcement could join in to help their members. Okay, I have a couple more questions. So this curriculum, the goal is to, is it strictly to educate them about underserved communities, communities of color? Is that the general idea for the curriculum, for this academy? You know, it would be to um, have the law enforcement to better, it's sort of like sociology, right? You, you know what people are going through in these communities and you become more compassionate when you find out exactly the struggles of these communities. And you become a strong advocate for those people because you better understand why they act differently than your norm. And so, yes, it's about working on the uh, law enforcement's way of thinking and dealing with it critically in real life so that they can ask themselves the questions and they could deal with them firsthand. It's different than training. It's about education and becoming um, more aware. We know, Tracy, that this is a big issue because on the same day that we filed the bill for critical race theory um, education for law enforcement, the president of the United States announced a, I think a 10 billion or 10 million, I can't remember the um, numbers, these billions and millions, they, they are just being thrown out. But he said that he wants K through 12 schools to teach critical race theory education. That was amazing that we were right there together on the same day, unbeknownst to us, that the president was going to announce something like that. And what does that tell me? It tells me that 
the president has acknowledged that the adults today missed out on critical race theory education. And so he's saying, moving forward, this is something that we cannot afford for students to go through being educated and not have, because we know that people have their biases about people. And so it's obvious that people our age missed it. We have to catch up and make sure that we provide it for law enforcement and even doctors and teachers and reporters. Everyone needs it to better um, be aware of who they're dealing with and how to respect people moving forward. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the academies, um, the police academy here in the U.S. is too short, and it doesn't teach them. Um, it doesn't make them as well-rounded as they need to be. You know, a friend of mine that just recently retired from the academy, um, who is like a voice lost in the wilderness, he tried to tell his officers, "You have to understand the people you're going to be dealing with. Right. You are. We are the in Chicago because so many systems are broken." we are the first responder of first choice rather than last choice because nothing works. No one, they can call 911 and they can get us out there. No other city agency responds like that. And you have to understand you're going to deal with people in their worst situations. Um, yeah. And that is the absolute truth. They, we, I think, uh, you know, the, you got a, obviously a negative response. Who would have figured from John Kanzara, the head of the FOP in Chicago? Uh, Mr. Accountability himself for 50 complaints against him, mostly from other officers. It's as amazing as that is. Um, but I don't understand how you talk to, how cops think or their unions think. They're as well prepared to deal with what they deal with on the street as they should be. And how you know, people have talked about defund and all those things, how the cops aren't there and saying, yes, can we not have to respond to people, things that don't have violence? We don't want to go to those things. We'll be called in if something happens, but can you take these 10 or 20 things just off our plate immediately? City, do something. Get those off our plate. I don't understand. They just want to keep, keep, it's a power thing. They just want to keep everything under their domain. And I think that is a union and leadership in the department, the city, and the, the police unit especially um, doing a disservice to officers. Oh, amen. You know, Tracy, I said that to, I wrote something about that. I said, you know, if the police union wanted to learn how to protect its members, they would take a page out of the Chicago Teachers Union's playbook. They fight for their members and they demand the best um, situations and conditions for their members resources and ultimately teachers have great representation asking for what's best for teachers which ultimately should be best for students now if the law enforcement <coughs> the police union said i'm gonna do just what tracy said why do i have to pull a car over because they have an air freshener in their window yeah or in God. their review review yep. you know that's not right that it's a crime. I got to pull someone over because they have an air freshener and their review uh, mirror. Why do I have to respond to these type of things? And why would a police union not be fighting for their members to all have bulletproof vests? Yep. They need to be fighting for that. Why wouldn't they be fighting for body cams so that they could protect their members from any um, problems that they may face? That, that summer team that 
um, how the department leadership, I think, all needs to go. They need to clear cut the top 20, 10%, in my opinion. How that summer team, community response team that David Brown put together of 300 officers, many of them didn't have body cameras. It's like, how is no one advocating in making sure how the, how the union isn't telling all their officers, get a body camera, make sure you don't go out with a body camera. If you do, write it down and send it to us. Right, you need to have body cameras. You need to have the best. We need to have all this stuff as top line. But okay, we could go on forever. There, there's um, unbelievably the union is such a disaster. But last question. So this is, um, if I read the bill right, this is critical race theory or CRT. I called it crit when I taught it um, at UIC. It is for both officers in the academy and continuing education. So it would train the officers that are currently on the forces out on the street currently. Yes, we would we would train the we will train the officers out there, not train them, we will put them in a a training, but not a training, it would be classes, not just training. That's the difference. They have this critical race theory training but we need it to be an education. And before you become a law enforcement agent, you have to take these classes. All right, I think that's a wonderful idea. I'm, I'm really looking forward. Hopefully this bill moves forward. I can't wait to see the continuing response. The union is not really up on race things. Um, Representative LaShawn Ford, thank you so much. I really appreciate it being with us today. Thank you so very much. And I really appreciate you understanding and being open to the idea. And I think that if the police um, union president was smart, he would be open to saying, okay, I want my members to be the best that they could be. And who denies education? No one that has the right frame of mind right, right. would deny education. No one that respects education. <laughs> right, right. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Um, okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, you have a good one, Tracy. You thank too. you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you, sir. All right, so we are back. A really interesting conversation. I've been, I'm sure I'm on the record on the show previously, I'm sure... When I interviewed Barry Friedman from the policing project at NYU Law School, we talked about this. And that's, God, it's getting close to a year ago now on the show. I am for a much longer police academy duration. Um, I don't, I, I, I could see ways that um, crit, what we used to call crit in grad school, critical race theory could be inter, interwoven into it. I'm a little suspect in the end about how much that will help the problems that are endemic in policing. Um, I just don't know. I, I hope it does, but I, I'm suspect like I am suspect about a lot of reform efforts that keep seeming to um, fail us. That's bottom line. They, they fail us pretty regularly as we have seen time and time and time again. Um, and it's certainly, we do not have a fraternal order of police. The union itself, the people running the union, they're not gonna be endorsing anything like this. They don't endorse any reform, really. Let's be honest, we'll get to them in a couple of minutes. We're gonna move on to our next segment. 
And this one is about um, as Lightfoot ponders. That's a Sun Times article by Frank Main, Fran Spielman, and I can't get the last name there. Um, but its title is "As As Lightfoot ponders a fix, city handling of fatal shootings by cops continues to violate state law." I'm going to question that a little bit. I, I don't know. First of all, let me give you some context about what they're talking about. In our morally bankrupt, at least back in 2016, morally bankrupt, useless, corrupt, unbelievably disgusting Illinois General Assembly, they passed a law that says that if there's going to be a criminal investigation of a police-involved shooting, it must be from a homicide-trained um, person that also has to be a sworn officer. So currently, shootings are investigated in, police shootings are investigated by COPA, Citizen Office of Police Accountability. Those investigators that investigate police shootings are homicide trained investigators. However, they are not sworn officers. Now, tell me, Chicago, Cook County, Illinois, United States of America, do you trust a cop to investigate another cop shooting. Even with COPA and the predecessor, the Independent Police Review Authority, they almost never found, I think IPRA found one police shooting in their entire time, not, not within regulations. Um, I don't think COPA's found one, although this it looks like Anthony Alvarez may be the first. So it's not like they keep saying cop haters and all this. It's not in the data. It just isn't in the data. Um, so anyways. Um, so what the FOP, the Fernora Police, are saying is that the because COPA investigators are not licensed, are not sworn officers, they can't investigate shootings. So they're talking about there's... Um, I guess what happened is this has also come up in the consent decree that the, in the Maggie Hickey is recommending some kind of like state police or the Cook County Sheriff's. Yeah, because competence, that's what you want. Who, raise your hand, you have confidence and independence in the Cook County Sheriff's Office <laughs> investigating Chicago Police Department shootings independently. No. Illinois State Police, no. They do not have a track record of being independent at all. There's probably countless, if we did some deep dives, we could countless times that they perjured themselves or lied or filed out false police reports. The one that sticks out in my head is Robert Rusk. Go look up that shooting many years ago and all the lying and deceit that went on there from the CPD, the state police were on the scene. Um, I don't know. There's all these suggestions. Um, the... Uh, federal monitor Maggie Hickey, who's uh, not federal monitor, but she's overseeing the consent decree. She allowed the CPD time, the city time, to switch over who's investigating these shootings by, and they, Hiller, they the city hired Hiller, Hillard Hines, started by Terry Hillard, an ex-police superintendent who's not a not a good guy whatsoever. Um, they studied and they came up with recommendations. The recommendations were given to Lightfoot administration July of last year, and she's been sitting on them. Now, let's see. Why would she sit on them? Let's see. Wait a minute. 
in the midst of the protest nationwide and unrest, these reporters and the federal monitor, or Maggie Hickey, the consent, consent decree monitor, wanted Lightfoot to remove COPA, pretty much, from investigating police shootings in the midst of a massive nationwide protest for the murder of a um, murder of a black male by a white cop on video. Yeah, no, she wasn't going to do that. I don't know what the solution here is. I think one of the solutions is the morally bankrupt General Assembly get off their butts and change the law. One, um, being a sworn officer, ridiculous. The other possible solution I see is that the state's attorney's office hire some trained homicide investigators and they do the criminal investigation and COPA just investigates for misconduct and whether you're going to be fired. From our understanding previously, COPA and IPRA would stop the investigation when, whenever they thought it started trending over into criminal activity, they would stop it and pass it off to the state's attorney. What it can't be done is passed over to the state police solely or the Cook County Sheriff's or the Chicago Police Department. No, the communities aren't going to buy it. They're just not going to buy that reality. Um, I understand that it's a law and it's got to be changed, but um, it's horrible. Here's a quote from John Contanzara. FOP president, Mr. 50 complaints against him, mostly internally, because that's how good of a cop he was, that all his partners with, and imagine the blue wall of silence, all his colleagues and stuff just felt compelled to break the blue wall of silence and complain against him. That's how good of a cop he was. So let's give it. Let's, here's the quote from the Sun-Times. The fatal police shooting of 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez on March 31st is a perfect, perfect example of Copa getting out above their skis. Katanzara says the department didn't want to strip that officer, but Copa couldn't wait to recommend recommend for that officer to be stripped of his police powers. That's already telling you it's a biased investigation from the get go. No, what the law says is the police department can look at an incident. It was caught on videotape. There's not much else that's needed, my friends. They looked at the videotape and they said, there's a good chance this is a massive violation of policy that resulted in the death of a civilian. And if it is a massive violation of police powers, there's a good chance that we are going to fire this officer. So as we are empowered with recommending, we recommend you strip them of their police powers. It's all within the law. They didn't, they didn't go over anything. <clears throat> They're not above their skis. They can order it stripped. It's, but that's the BS you get from the police, the FOP. Why they keep going to him, I don't understand it. And if you are going to quote him, they need to put in what I just told you. He has 50 complaints against him. And every time they quote him, they should start, before you read this, understand where this quote is coming from. He's got 50 complaints against him. Okay. So. We're going to go on to our next segment, which we have a, just a great transition here. It's our FOP watch segment, Fraternal Order Police watch segment. This is from, <clears throat> excuse me, the Friday updates. We check on them every week now, every Friday. Um, John Contanzara, the FOP president, posts a video to YouTube to the FOP's web um, channel. And we take a look at them and try to mine them for interesting information to keep you up to date on the propaganda and uh, um, 
ridiculousness coming from the FOP. So first clip, um, believe it or not, honestly, he's not entirely wrong. I'm going to give you a little context before I put in what's going on. Um, Superintendent David Brown is recommending or putting a plan in the place, not recommending, he's putting, doing it, where he, every police, every detectives bureau, I think they're back to five now, if I'm not mistaken. I think he switched it back from McCarthy's three to five or, or Beck did it. They have to have an act, like a team ready to go at a moment's notice to get in uniform and do regular police activities, which is now sitting on property, sitting guarding properties, like go downtown and sit on Michigan Avenue and deter people by your mere presence. If it sounds ridiculous to you, you would be correct. Now, if you haven't read a lot about this, blame the Chicago media. He did this in Dallas. I knew this was coming. I was warned by press in Dallas. This is going to come. He should do it in Dallas right before, like in the months leading up to his annual meeting in front of the city council so that he could try to drive crime numbers down a little bit. Okay, so that's the context. Let's listen to uh, Mr. Catanzara's clip here and then we'll come back and discuss. It's uh, about two minutes. The department has decided they are going to now have standby teams in the detective division ready to go downtown or anywhere else to stand and guard property kind of like every district with squad roles and designated beat cars. Um, pretty ridiculous to think you're paying a higher grade uh, officer to be deployed downtown or wherever the case may be on a moment's notice when there's clearance rate issues, uh, caseload, just volumes of stuff for these detectives to do, <laughs> and they're just gonna make it worse. So on that note, I will tell you we just posted something on our Facebook page for detectives to fill out every time they get deployed away from their caseload uh, under this new structure. It will be out on the website and email blast very shortly. Please redistribute it to all detectives. We're asking you to fill out that too from every time you get deployed away from your assigned duties so they cannot say you're in dereliction of your duty responsibilities by not closing out cases in a timely fashion. Okay, so he's not entirely wrong. It's a joke. And I don't see why you would rip detectives out of what they're doing to go sit on property. But this is Brown being Brown. This We knew this was coming. These kinds of uh, ridiculous stunts are what made up a lot of what he did in Dallas. There's going to be a lot of crime data manipulation coming on soon. And changes in how they take reports and classify things because that's what came in as Dallas history. You wouldn't really know that because the Chicago media hasn't reported on it. We're going to. We're in the midst of that research. So let's go to clip number two here. And this is about uh, Sidney Roberts resigning in this uh, as Chief Administrator of COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, and the recent troubles in the state's attorney's office, follow-up from the Adam Toledo Um bond hearing fiasco sorry there's been a lot of changes in the city especially over the last month now uh, copa's 
thankfully losing their chief administrator, who's been an absolute disaster at COPA, just running that organization into the ground uh, over police officers on the way there. Uh, yet again today, COPA produced additional charges during an interview that were very generic in nature, expecting the officer to give a statement on the, the generic charges that they were just adding. So when they exercised their right to respond within 72 hours and requested further details about the allegations being added to the complaint, COPA refused, said they weren't going to expound any more than the generic version that was already given. I mean, it's disgusting what they have become. We are exploring all legal options to attack COPA, but as dysfunctional as they've become, it's no mystery that uh, Sydney Roberts is running for the hills as fast as she can. Uh, there, there's some strange connections between COPA and other comments and things, situations that have occurred in the city as of recent. I don't know if they're all connected or not. Time will tell. This will definitely all wash out. You add that to the changes at the state's attorney's office, where disgustingly the state's attorney forced another uh, you know, career prosecutor to fall on the sword because she couldn't accept blame for her own failings as the lead prosecutor in the county. Uh, it, it, it goes to her desk whenever something goes wrong, just the same as it comes to mind. But she literally will throw anybody under the bus to refuse to accept responsibility. To anybody who's watching this that voted for her, you're getting exactly what you hoped for. And the homicide rate and the shootings that have plagued this city have only increased. And you could look in the mirror, you got no one else to blame for electing politicians like that into office. Well, if it ain't the pot calling the kettle black for sure, Mr. Catanzara takes responsibility. He owns it. He's had 50 complaints against him. 50. Mostly from internals. Internal. Bosses, fellow officers. 50. You speak to him, he thinks that 100% of them, all 100% are unjustified. His suspensions, two, three suspensions, totally unjustified. Where is that taking responsibility? And someone also has to explain to me what Kim Fox needs to take responsibility for. I don't understand what she did wrong. She empowered people to do their jobs. They didn't do it. So she's in trouble for not micromanaging people she put in charge. The I don't remember her name, unfortunately, but the one who just was forced to resign after 26 years. Why does Kim Fox have to, she's number two in the office, why does Kim Fox have to micromanage what she does? Can't the number two just take charge and do what she's empowered to do? I don't understand. I'm, we're suing Kim Fox. I am not a fan transparency-wise. I just don't understand what people are talking about in that. But it's not. It's haters. If it's not race, it's your gender, their political look, how they're treating uh, soft on misdemeanor offenses. Um, yeah, it's political. It has nothing to do with what actually happened because you can't publish anyone. They all hate her, so it must be her fault. Don't worry that you're, you're a middle-level manager and you have responsibilities or a senior manager you have responsibilities. They didn't do it. What do you do when that happens? As the boss, you fire people. Okay, we're going to be right back after this one minute of information about our CJP's Nation program, and we'll come back for a couple more segments. 
Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. All right, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you being here. Our next segment, you know, the Southside Weekly, I like a lot of the stuff they do. I must admit it. This one, to me, was kind of sort of a dud. I am a little lost at why people are so pushing for the, the removal of qualified immunity. Um, I don't think it plays out in reality like they think it's going to play out in reality. So here's an article from the Southside Weekly with the title, Lightfoot Quietly Lobbied for Qualified Immunity. The link will be in the chat soon enough. So a hacker group hacked Jones Day, a powerful national, if not international law firm, probably hacked their Chicago office, which was doing the investigation, the independent investigation of the Adam I think it was the Adam Toledo case, if I'm not mistaken. And the Adam Toledo, uh, Jones Day was doing this independent investigation to find out what happened. And so they had a, a trove of emails and, and city-related uh, internal documents. And those documents got exposed through the hack. They've recently been posted online. Um, and they're being mined for stories, which I think is perfectly legitimate to do. The Southside Weekly posted a story about Lightfoot quietly lobbying for qualified immunity. Not a surprise. She, her, her progressive tag as campaigner is long, long gone. And she's not a reformer um, in policing and a justice issue. So it makes perfect sense to me she'd be for qualified immunity. Now, what is that? It basically means if you're a police officer and you cannot be sued for basically um, performing your normal duties. And it covers all kinds of public employees. People nationwide are trying to change that. Why? Well, when John sues, gets beat up by a cop, and they sue, qualified immunity sometimes stands in the way and doesn't allow you to sue the officer. It allows you to only sue the department. And then unless the officer's not feeling any of the pain. And I get it, but I don't get it. Let's take the Laquan McDonald case, for example. Any, really any abuse case, but let's talk Laquan McDonald. Laquan gets murdered. There's the tape, shows it. The city quietly sits down with the family before they even sue, work out a settlement, five million bucks. Here you go, take it. Now, the officer is most likely, if you sue just the officer, even if you won and you were victorious, hooray. What could a cop, an individual cop, possibly have financially 
a, a few hundred thousand dollars. Now, if you sue the cop and the department, the department's going to try to get out of it saying it's the cop's fault. It's the cop's fault right here. It's his fault. We shouldn't be liable. So you run the risk of losing against the department with the big money is, but winning against the cop. And even if you do, what do they have? $100,000? Let's say you got a rich one, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000. Yes, it would hurt the individual officer, and I understand that. But isn't the McDonald family better off with the $5 million from the city? Now, there is the thought that maybe you get both, and maybe some cases you would get both. But you'd have to, most likely in those cases, you'd have to, I guess they would settle some, but a lot of those you're going to have to take the trial and win it both. Because the cop and the department are going to be pointing fingers at each other, trying to get out of having to cover the suit. I'm for getting rid of qualified immunity, but I don't think it's going to make anywhere near the impact people think it is. And on top of it, you get rid of it, the, the department can just indemnify the officers anyways and pay the fine. Right, or pay the judgment or the settlement costs. So I think this is mostly about people who are backing this who don't understand what's going on. I think it would have much less of an impact than people want it to be. As far as this story, am I surprised that Lightfoot's for qualified immunity? Absolutely not. That's what she does. As far as policing and justice issues, someone tell me something she did differently than Rahm or Daly. I just don't see it. Um, she's a full progressive at best, um, conservative liberal at, at I don't even know if she gets, I don't know if you put liberal in there at all, like a centrist, conservative centrist. It seems how Lightfoot is, is um, governing. Uh, certainly a big zero on police uh, accountability and police, um, police reform. Okay, we're going to move to our next one. And this is a series of a couple of tweets from Professor Robert Vargas from the University of Chicago Sociology Department. And it's talking about um, sometime in like mid-January, there was there started to be a drop-off in, in carjackings. And of course, the department, unsavory, untruthful, lying about just about every piece of data possible, is saying... It's because we created this new task force. And they may have, in fact, had an impact, but hmm, there's not really enough data to show one way or the other, but there, here's some interesting, inter interesting tweets. So I'll read it to you. Um, and for those on the pod, listening through the podcast, all the images we show in, um, all, all that we use in the show when we post the podcast to our site, you get it through Apple Podcast or, or Google Play Store or wherever. You can always go to our site to the post for the podcast on our site. And all the links are there that we use, plus all of the uh, images are there for you to see. So here's, a, uh, here's the first tweet. New report, a closer look at the January reduction in carjacking. CPD carjacking task force is claiming credit for the reduction, but the data do not support it. Instead, we see a stronger correlation with stimulus checks and carjacking uh, and carjacking reductions. Okay, and there's a, um, there's a, give me to this image, there's a nice little graph that basically shows the carjacking reduction started in January, but just started before the task force actually started. The task force may have exacerbated that or, 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 or 
increased the decline to some degree, but there's no doubt the decline had already started to happen pretty significantly um, before the task force started. And here's a follow-up tweet. This is not causal evidence, someone with integrity. Rather, CP analysts, CPD analysts do not account for a plausible alternative explanation that the cashing of stimulus checks from December, January may have contributed to reductions in economically motivated carjackings. And one last tweet, unfortunately, we can't evaluate economically motivated carjackings because the CPD still refuses to share data about the number of cars that have not been recovered. And I think we talked about last week, um, I think it was a CBS2 report that basically showed, despite the CPD saying the vast majority of car jack cars are you know, um, recovered in a few hours, the reality is they could only prove around 12%. Um, and here's another um, chart that was included in that tweet. And you can see um, just from this that it, the professor makes an interesting argument that it's quite possible that the stimulus checks had a greater impact um, on the, at least the start of the decline, which, by the way, was pretty steep by the time the task force started than actually the task force itself. Um, he, he states it right up, and I will. There's no way to do this causal right now, um, but the CPD is basically hiding the data that would allow you to do this. I've heard from internal sources they recover most of the cars in a few hours. Um, they're joy rides or they're used for crimes and dumped. Um, that may be true. The CPD is hiding the data to prove that. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, where there's smoke, there's fire, especially with the CPD. If they are hiding the data, then you know right away that there's something there they're not telling us. Um, okay, let's move on to our next segment. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad this article got published the way it did. I think it's Jason Meisner in the Trib. Even if Chicago, even in Chicago's crowded history of FBI cooperators, Danny Solis's deal stands out, and it does. Um, he's for some reason getting a walkaway deal. And we don't know exactly to this point, besides turning in, besides giving us, or giving us, giving the FBI Ed Burke and wearing a wire in multiple meetings with Burke and others. Um, so we don't know the totality of the impact of his cooperation is going to have. But Danny Solis basically got a, um, a uh, deferred prosecution deal where he won't even be prosecuted for corruption. Now, He's bringing down a pretty big fish in Ed Burke. He, it certainly seems like they, he was extremely consequential to that um, prosecution. He got in early. He cooperated almost immediately. Um, and he basically delivered them at Burke. And I, so to some degree, I understand why he's getting the deal. Um, and it's an interesting article. I think people should read it. And there's a really good job of talking to other cooperators about other cooperators and the levels at which they got into the system. Because um, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. Many, I should say many, some of the cooperators, it seems like they did a lot, but they got they were late in the game. And they ended up flipping 
you know, and only providing minimal amounts of information on other bigger fish. Um, so it's not that they didn't do anything, it's just that they weren't very consequential to the prosecution. One of the other reasons why I love this story and why it appeared, because it gave me the chance to bring talk about this, this piece I'm bringing you right now, which is the Tribune went back and pulled quotes from when it got released that Solis was cooperating and had war wires on city council people, aldermen. And it, um, it, it, um, in that coverage, you get aldermen complaining about Solis and how they feel betrayed. Um, and I forgot the one she does budget, but God, I can't remember her name right now. She used to run the budget committee. Um, and how she felt like crying. She was so betrayed. And it's like, wow, you're betrayed. You feel betrayed. Well, um, how about you just don't do anything wrong, anything illegal, and you don't have to worry about who we're aware. Your answer, the answer if you're not a Chicago corrupt politician, your answer is, oh, okay, why do I care? Hope he got some, if there were people being corrupt, I hope he got them. Take them out. Why do I care? Nah, I haven't done anything. Wear a wire. Not I feel betrayed. I feel like crying. We don't do it. That's what a rat does. Only in Chicago would a public official, not only, but it seems like it's only in Chicago, would you get a public official? When it comes out, another one has cut a deal that you'd say, oh my God, he's such a horrible rat. I just, um, I just think it's hilarious. Um, and I can't remember, I remember her face, but I can't, um, I can't remember her name. I will say though, she, we read a list of aldermen have been indicted in the last couple of years. I think in the last three years, she's one of them. So that's, um, that's always good news. Maybe she knew she was going to be, um, going to be, uh, maybe she's doing corrupt stuff and she knew it. Okay. We are going to move on to our last segment of the night. And it's a um, article. I wouldn't call it an article because that makes it news. This is a post at the political shop disguising themselves as a media outlet called CWB Chicago, which used to be crime in Wrigleyville and Boys Town. It used to be a blog. Now it's more of a, I mean, it was a political operation from the beginning. Now it's worse, but now it's even more pretending to be some kind of news outlet. And it basically sees, says, prosecutor Penn's letter is top Fox deputy is forced out. We're holding on by a thread, Kim. Well, here's a reality, ladies and gentlemen. Change is hard. As I've talked about earlier, Fox got elected to be a reformer. Fox got elected to change the office. If you look at the state's attorney's office from Daly, even prior before Daly, guy when they killed uh, Fred Hampton, right, in the 60s, it's been an office that's 100% aligned with the police department, not providing their check and balance role that they're supposed to. In the Burge years from the early 70s to the early 90s, they were heavily, heavily, heavily involved in facilitating and not preventing torture of suspects on a mass scale. And that basically put an end. They, are, they helped with their corrupt actions, with the actions of the Chicago Police Department and John Burge, helped put an end to the death penalty in Illinois single-handedly. 
after the corruption of by uh, um, Anita Alvarez, the same same activities covered up for Daly's nephew who killed someone, and then covered up the uh, the Jason Van Dyke Laquan McDonald murder. She got hired in to shake things up. So what happens? The people she's supposed to shake up and get out of the office or fight or face reform are complaining. Who didn't know that was coming? In this case, and the thing they're talking about is mostly the Adam Toledo bond hearing. The, the prosecutor went into court and gave a police-supported version of the events because the kid really didn't have a gun in his hand when he was shot. He had it a few moments before, but not at the time he was shot. He should have known what he was going to say was the first public version of what happened outside what the police said, so it was going to blow up. His boss, who I can't remember her name now, she was, this is what this is written about, she was forced out because she was the one that was supposed to read the proffer and make sure it was good to go. And if there were questions, alert Fox to make sure she read it before it happened. That never happened. People didn't do their jobs. The guy, the, uh, the prosecutor who did the bond hearing got suspended for an, in, that did an internal investigation. The internal investigation came back, guess what? Second in charge, you got to go. You didn't do your job. Now, prosecutors in the office are complaining that people are being held accountable for not doing their job. What do you want? And if we cycle back to a few earlier segments, you got John Contanzaro, the FOP president, 50 complaints, never been held accountable really for anything in his career, talking about how people need to hold Kim Fox accountable and you got what you voted for. We did get what we voted for. We did. We want change. We're getting it. You want accountability? Don't do your job? You get, you get, you, you see the street. That's what all private employees have to file, face every day. Why not public employees? Sorry. We don't want the same old prosecutor's office to step in step every day with the, the police department. There's got to be some independence. They don't like it too bad. That's what the people voted for. Um, the head of the FOP not liking it is actually a sign that people who voted for Kim Box are getting what they want. And certainly what they don't want is some guy who's had 50 complaints internally running in union that is totally against any reform. So, and by the way, this letter was anonymous because it had to be because the, uh, the crime in Wrigleyville blog is anonymous. Okay. We're going to be publishing soon weekly reviews of... <laughs> the content and crime in Wrigleyville blog and others um, to keep you up to date. That's hopefully coming in the next week or so. We'll keep you up to date. Okay, thank you all for being here. Go to our website to get more information about the Nation program, which meets every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Chicago time. Get more information about, go look at the weekend media coverage blog that gets posted every Monday and it's already up. Um, and just find out more about our transparent accountability work. Get, go there to sponsor the show also you're so willing. All right, everyone, we will see you on Wednesday at 530 Central. Have a great day.